you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn to John chapter 1. John chapter 1 this morning. We are excited to be in this book in hopes it will get in us. If you are a first-time guest or maybe you are new to Christianity, maybe you're exploring Christianity, um, you're not sure about, you don't even own a Bible, we, we'd love to give you one this morning. So under the chair in front of you, we'd invite you to take that as our gift from, from us to you. And this morning we'll be on page 886, 886 this morning. And we're going to be looking at verses 19 to 34. Again, if you're new to Christianity or new to the Bible, it's, we'll start with um, chapter 1. That's the larger number. And the smaller number is the verse, and we'll be at verse 19. For the past month, we have been walking through the first 18 verses together as a church, as a people called Providence. We've titled the series Fully Alive, and there are resources for you. We uh, remind you at the first of the month of these resources. There's a website, Fully Alive, that has um, some tremendous resources on it. It also has um, each week we're posting to this particular site um, the verses that we'll be studying the coming Sunday, and then some um, questions maybe to, to, um, for you to ponder and to, in, in anticipation of meeting with God, meeting with His Word, and engaging with His Word. And so... Um, be encouraged by that. Also, there's some uh, bookmarks out at the next steps in the lobby that have on the back the memory verses that we are walking through. We believe it's vital to memorize scripture, to hide God's word in our heart in a sense, in our mind, uh, to live with wisdom, to fight sin. Um, And so uh, we start a new verse this week. I'm going to put that up and uh, I'm going to ask us to say this together from John 1, 11 through 12. So let's, uh, let's say this together. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. That's good news this morning when you think about that, that for those who believe and those who receive and those who understand the totality of this book in one sense of what God has done in creating us, but not leaving us to ourselves. Um, Sin entered the world, took three chapters for us to mess it up, Genesis chapter 3. And then um, the consequences, the wages of sin, God said in his word, is death. And yet he sent his son to live the life you and I could not live and die the death that we deserve. And in his death on the cross and taking God's wrath and punishment for sin and then being buried and being raised the third day, validated that he was who he said he was, that he is the son of God, that he does take our sin. And that those who believe this verse that we've just memorized says that we have the right, he's given us the right to become children. He's adopted us in a sense. And that is just tremendous good news in a bad news world. And so as we look, Today, and as we read verses 19 to 34, we have this text in mind of all that he's done in the previous verses, and we'll address some of those. But let's read together verse 19 to 34. Read along with me as I, as I read God's great word. In verse 19, he says, and this is the testimony of John 
when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then, are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. So they said to him, who who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now, they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, then why are you baptized if you are neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? And John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I'm not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. In verse 29, the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the spirit descend from heaven like a dove and it remained on him. And I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen And have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you humbled by this word, amazed at this word, asking you to take this word and not just inform us for the sake of knowledge, but transform us for the sake of holiness, boldness, winsomeness. As we look at this one who witnessed God, would you create in us a heart of effective witness? As we behold the lamb this morning, would you do only that which you can do? Would you have your way with your word this morning? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. But when you behold something, Right, You take hold of it in one sense with your eyes, maybe with your affections, with your heart, your emotions. You value it. You savor it in a sense. You may even sing about it. And, and then sometimes it even propels you to want to share about it. I remember years ago before Julie and I were married that uh, right before I entered into seminary, uh, a good friend of mine who we were running together and doing life together, accountability together, some Bible study together, and um, had the opportunity through a company I was representing part-time to get down to the Bahamas for just a few hundred bucks. It was just a, one of those deals you couldn't turn down. And so my buddy and I took the pennies we had, put them together, and said we knew seminary was coming and probably wouldn't have a chance to do this while you're in seminary, and so let's, let's do it. And so we headed down to the Bahamas and, and spent uh, a few days down there and just both of us were a little crazy on, on the wild side of wanting to do some fun things. 
And so we ended up um, having the opportunity to parasail. And so um, I wanted to, to parasail. Now, we, th- let me explain something. This is not the parasailing where, where you uh, start on the back of the boat and, and it's a nice boat and they, they just kind of let you out with a cable, right? They just kind of let you out with a cable and, the, and you get kind of further away and then you do your thing and then they kind of reel you back in. You land on the boat and they've got a pop for you, right? A little soda. Uh, this, is, this is what I call redneck parasailing, okay? <laughs> this is the boat that we, uh, we, we, took, we took. This is the one, right? And so, so uh, they were fishermen. I think the parasailing was a side business, okay? And then uh, as we got up in the air, right, this is the idea of, of, of this p- next picture of just being able to, the, the beauty of it was, was amazing. But, uh, but you notice down there to the, to the right, there's like a dock, right? And this is where we would start. We would start on the dock. There's two guys, one driving the boat from the back. I like the steering wheel from the back. And then we would just kind of run and, and jump, and, and then we, we'd go, right? And I remember I'm up there, and, uh, and, and really, the, the Lord had been stirring my heart. I love creation. I just love the beauty of it. It's, it's, it's amazing. And so my affections were stirred. For God is the creator. I started to behold all these things. The water was so clear. You could see fish and certain things swimming. And, um, and I, I began, I actually, I actually broke out. And as, as most of you know, I can't sing, but I love singing. And so I figured I was high enough up. Nobody could hear me, right? And so I, I, I broke out in some worship songs and singing to the Lord. It was a sweet time of just savoring this moment. And, um, and, then, and then when I actually, when I got back, I, I shared with a lot of people this cool experience. And uh, even as I, as I landed, I, I was grateful to, to make it back because as I'm up there, I'm wondering, like, now, how do I get back on that dock, right? Um, and, and I saw the guy, the, the driver of the boat goes by the dock. The other guy grabs the rope. He brings it down to the dock. He la- hooks it on a, like a latch. And, and then as the boat goes out, the rope pulls, down, pulls me down to the dock. Right? And so as I'm coming closer to the dock, it's getting closer. Um, I realize I'm going under the dock. And uh, I went under the dock, but um, good news is I survived. I'm here today. I'm grateful for that. God spared me. And I had a life jacket on and unhooked and did a few maneuvers and then got back on the dock. But I remember that day so specifically as I was beholding creation. And I was thinking about here. John is not beholding creation. He's beholding the one who is the creator, the God-man. He's he's beholding the very God-man. John the Baptist says that he has seen and and that he's borne witness to these things, that, that this man is the son of God, Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And for you and I as a people, the last month, right, we have seen and we have borne witness that Jesus is the Son of God over these 18 amazing verses that we've been walking through in the month of January. And it's propelled, has it not? It's propelled our worship. And out of our worship, we desire to be a people who are effective in our witness. And so this morning, I want to show you two ways to be an effective witness for Christ. Two simple but profound ways to be an effective witness for Christ. And think about this, these last words that Jesus says, right? He's he's called us to be many things, 
right? But there's this sense that in the midst of becoming these things, we hang on to some of his last words. And some of his last words in Matthew 28 was that we would go to all nations and make disciples, teaching them to obey and, and baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he tells us in Acts 1.8 that you are to be my witnesses, Right After the resurrection, as he lived for 40 plus some days, and then he ascended to the right hand of the Father, he says, you are to be my witnesses at home and to the ends of the earth. And so how can we be an effective witness? Right, Two truths this morning from our text I want to show you. The first is this, is that an effective witness for Jesus shares the gospel with a confident humility. An effective witness shares the gospel with a confident humility. Think about this, that after 18 verses, John, the author, just dropping incredible Jesus bombs in some sense on who this person is, comes to 19, and really for the rest of the book, will call eight witnesses to the stand. And when we read John in verse 19, this is not John, the author, John the author is one of the disciples. This is John the Baptist, who was a forerunner, who was a witness, right? And he desires, in a sense, to, to, to John the author wants to call these witnesses to the stand um, in multiple voices, have multiple voices that, that would shout in some sense of this is who Jesus is. And he's trying, is he not, to build belief and build faith as John 20, 31, sort of how we kick this book off, right? John says, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This is why John, the author, is calling these witnesses to the stand. He wants you, he wants I, he wants the recipients of this word to believe the son of God, Jesus, and have life in his name, this, this word witness, testify, it, it's used 113 times in the New Testament. And 77 times it is used in John's writings. So verse 19, who is this John the Baptist? This is not the author. This is the forerunner of Jesus. This is the messenger of Jesus. So this is the preacher in one sense. And, and think about the great humility he demonstrates Think about the the great humility that John the Baptist demonstrates. I mean, when we read this, we're reminded of God's faithfulness to his word because Malachi 3.1 would give a prophecy of John the Baptist. So there's great prophecies of Jesus, but God would go so far because he cares about the details that he even gave prophecies of the one who would actually speak on behalf of Jesus and point people to Jesus. In Malachi 3.1, he says, "'Behold, I send my messenger.'" And he will prepare the way before me. You look at his, at his birth. His birth of John the Baptist is recorded. It's recorded in Luke chapter 1. You've got John the Baptist, his, his dad, Zacharias, his mom, Elizabeth. And Zacharias, think about this day in the life of Zacharias. Zacharias is a, is a priest. And, and it's his lot. That sometimes lots doesn't fall on the priest to, to perform this particular action. But this day, this particular day, the lot falls to him and he has the duty, the privilege, the delight to offer the sacrifice, to go into the Holy of Holies, to represent the people to God. And, and he and his wife, Elizabeth, they're old, she's barren, there's no children. And as, as he enters in this incredible privilege, 
an angel shows up, not just an angel, the text says Gabriel, right? And I'm just going to recommend to you, if Gabriel shows up and speaks to you, I would listen, okay? And so he's there and he says to, right, to Zechariah, he says, listen, you're, you're going to, we've heard your prayer, your prayer request for a child. It's in our timing. I know you wanted that years ago, but we, we answer up there in our timing. Um, and so in our timing, um, it, it's going to happen. And it's an amazing phrase that comes because he says, now how is this going to happen? Almost insinuating doubt. And because of that, his mouth is muted for nine months. He has to come out and start using the ground to write on. He, he, he can't. Can't talk, but but this is this is who, where John the Baptist comes from. He he comes from really a, a miracle. He's a miracle baby. He's prophesied in the Old Testament. Uh, an angel spoke, not just an angel. Gabriel spoke to his dad. His birth's recorded in the scriptures. And so, if there's Jesus, even goes on to say, "This is no one's greater that's been born than this man." I mean, you've in other words, he's got a pretty strong resume, and and. The temptation has to be close that when these Jews, these priests, these Levites come from Jerusalem, now they've been sent. It's not that John's just out there preaching. He, I mean, he's drawn a crowd. There's, a, there's something going on in this particular lay of the land, and the word is out. And so the Pharisees, the Levites, the Jews are sending. They're not just walking by. They've been sent out to investigate who this guy is. And they come to him, and they ask. They're, they're asking, are you uh, Elijah? Because there's a prophecy that there will become one who's like Elijah in that power. Are you the prophet? Deuteronomy 18 says there's a prophet. There's going to be a, a greater prophet than Moses that's coming. Are you, are you the one? Um, and, and, and notice this, this humble response. I mean, they, they're asking, are you the Christ? Are you Elijah? Are you the prophet? And he says, now I'm thinking he's probably tempted. He could, this is where he could have dropped some names. This is where he could have pulled out the resume. He could have pulled out a card. He could have, this is where he could have easily said, yep, my dad, Gabriel spoke to him. Yep, dad couldn't talk for nine months. When I came, boom, he started speaking. Um, matter of fact, when I was in the womb um, and w- Elizabeth went to see Mary, the cousin, and, and, and he's six months older than Jesus, and Jesus in the womb, uh, I, actually, I actually wanted to speak on his behalf before I even got here. <laughs> Think about that. I mean, the, the, he could have he laid all these things out, but he doesn't. Notice what he says. Notice his response, the humility that is shown in John the Baptist. He says, no, I'm not, I'm not the Christ. I'm not, he doesn't even tell him his name. He says, I'm not, I am not. He says, no, in verse 21. And they just keeps, well, who, who are you then? And what he does, he quotes from Isaiah chapter 40, that, that I'm just a voice. I'm just a voice trying to prepare the way. Right? And, and he's quoting that from Isaiah. And, and, and there, just get this picture, as kings would travel, there would be one who would run out in front and make sure the path is clear, removing those impediments to make sure the, the road is smooth uh, for people to receive the king. And in one sense, this is what he's doing to the human heart. He's trying to preach and, 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 and speak on behalf of King Jesus in preparation for his arrival on the scene, ultimately for the salvation of men and women. This is, 
This is what's taken place. I mean, think he could have he could have bragged about easily. I mean, he's he's living in the wilderness. His 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 outfit is somewhat unique. I mean, in, in one sense, he's the first bear grills. John the Baptist is right. John the Baptist ate locusts the way Bear Grylls eats locusts out. And and Bear Grylls Bear Grylls, unfortunately, I mean, he's doing it all for his own income, making three million a year, net worth twenty million, teaching people how to live out there. <laughs> Think about how crazy that is. Who wants to live out there? He's making three million a year teaching people how to live out there and eat animals and bugs. <laughs> that just shows you how messed up we all are, right? We're entertained by that. No, this is not John the Baptist. John the Baptist is, yes, eating some wild honey and some locusts and kind of rough looking. He's, he's not preparing folks on how to live in the wild. He's preparing people how to live in light of God's wrath that's coming. This is what he's doing. It's, it's not about John the Baptist. It's about Jesus. He's wanting to, to point all. He, he's wanting to tilt the mirror. He's wanting to deflect the light. This is where it says in John chapter 1, just look up a few verses early in verse 7. It says, he came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. Three times witnesses mentioned there. He's, he's trying to say, you know, listen, the, the spotlight's not on me. The spotlight's on him. I'm wanting to put the spotlight. I'm wanting to reflect, in one sense, the light of the world, Jesus himself. Our kids, as as they were small. One of the joys we had was trying to build into them and cultivate into their hearts the, the reality that it's not about them. It's all about Jesus. And so, so as some of the first words out of their mouth were, mine. <laughs> I'm like, did you get that from your mama? <laughs> I didn't say that. It got it from dad. <laughs> or they would say no. And, and you would just see this, this sin. And, and, then, and then they would get a gift. And before they opened the gift, they would flip it over, where on the back shows this one gift among the 10 that makes the complete set, and they would identify the things, the ones that they don't have, before they opened the one that they did have. And I'm like, what are you doing? Let's celebrate. See, there's a, there's a culture, right? I call the unholy trinity, me, myself, and I. And, and there's this culture that it, we think it's about us, it's not. And this is, this, there's a book out. And I, I love it. We would read it to our kids and it, to try to convey this concept. Um, and it's called Fool Moon Rising. Not full, but fool. Because the, the moon acted in this particular children's book like a fool. And listen, just some of the excerpts from it. And be encouraged with some good theology from a children's book. I heard a cosmic story and wondered if it's true. The moon was stealing glory, and this is what he'd do. He bragged each night that his great might could, could make the darkness flee. And like a kite, he scaled the heights and said, hey, look at me. It's really strange, but he could change his shape throughout the year. His face could change, then rearrange and sometimes disappear. He bragged that he could cause the sea to rise and swell each day, then all could see how mightily he'd pull the waves away. 
He'd boast away and love to say, I'm the greatest light, until one day a piercing ray showed him a shocking sight. He saw his pride, and then he cried for all he had done, for he had lied when he denied his light came from the sun. So now each night a new delight is what he loves the most, reflecting light with all his might. The sun is now his boast. So God, I pray for grace each day to find the joy that's true in all my days and in all my ways in making much of you. Some good theology in that. Full moon rising. Let us not be foolish in trying to get the spotlight. Let's deflect and reflect. And let's make much of the one who deserves to be made much of. Though John the Baptist, his humility, his humility, it, it, was, it was confident, yet he was humbled. I mean, he would say in verse 27, I'm not even worthy to tie the sandal of Jesus. Verse 30, he would say, the one who, who after me, who, who comes, he's a, a man ranked before me. It's just... Layered. He, just, he, he had such laser-sharp focus and purpose of knowing that this life that is so brief, so the psalmist calls it a whisper. It's so fast, and you know that it's just flying. The older you get, it seems like the faster it goes. You say, it's not about you. It's about King Jesus and making much of King Jesus and what he has accomplished. John the Baptist gets this, in some sense, even greater than the, old, the disciples. Even, even at the Last Supper, in Luke 22, as Jesus, the night he's going to be betrayed, the night before he goes to the cross, he ends up at the table, and at the table, some of the disciples break out in a small little bickering argument of who's the greatest. They, they still aren't getting it. Oh, John, John will say, chapter three, we'll see in a few weeks, John the Baptist will say, he, Jesus, he must increase, but I must decrease. And C.S. Lewis helps us with this thought. Think about this for just a moment now. Think about this. True humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. Let's, let's, get, a, let's get a healthy perspective here. True humility, it's, it's not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. And so this morning for application from this first point, let me address the believers in the room this morning, those who know Jesus, that are following Jesus, that want to be a witness for Jesus. Let's, let's not be so concerned with winning the argument as we are winning the heart. Let's be winsome. Let's be confident. Let's be humble in our approach. And then for the non-believer this morning, for the non-believer that may be with us this morning, let me just ask this. Would you forgive us for not being humble in trying to reach you. Forgive us of the times we've been arrogant. Forgive us of the times that we've come across somewhat condescending. Forgive us from the, for the times that we haven't listened and all we wanted to do is speak. Know, know our heart, know our passion is for you to know Jesus. That's our passion, that's our heartbeat, to worship him and make, to know him and make him known. We want to introduce all people to Jesus. We want to help people grow up to love and worship Jesus. 
But we don't always get it right in how we approach doing that. So forgive us, we ask. An effective witness for Jesus shares the gospel, the confident humility. But notice second, an effective witness for Jesus speaks the gospel with a convicting hope. Now, verses 29 to 34, some of the most precious words in the scripture. Notice how he starts off. He says, behold, the next day, Jesus comes on the scene. This is an account of what has happened. And John the Baptist shouts. Now, let this moment, let this moment land on you. Maybe unlike other moments have landed on you. It has been 400 years of silence. It has been the last word, the last word probably from Malachi was, was not a, an encouraging word. Although Malachi did mention that this one that's going to be saying these words was coming. And so you've got 400 years of silence and then it's almost as if it's breaking news in one sense. Imagine tonight as you're watching the game, you're watching the game and, and in the midst of, of wings and chips, breaking news comes across the screen There's a silence that comes over the room quickly. Breaking news comes across the screen. And in in that news, they have discovered a cure for cancer. There would be tremendous, tremendous joy on that announcement. Imagine this announcement, 400 years of silence. This announcement, behold... The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold, John, John is out. He's baptizing not to be cleansed, but as a symbol in preparation for the one who could cleanse from the inside. These perplexing, profound words. Behold, take hold of this one. Take hold of this one. Behold, now why? Listen, why not behold the king? Behold the warrior. Behold the promised one. Behold the son of God. Behold the God man. Why? Lamb. Why? Why one of the weakest of animals, the most vulnerable of animals? Why? Lamb. Oh, listen. If you were there and you were familiar at all with this half of the, of the book, good book, the ears would have stood up just a little bit when you heard lamb. Your quiet time memories would start to reflect back to, yeah, I remember Genesis 22. I remember Genesis 22 when Abraham took Isaac up to that hill to offer a sacrifice, which was pointing to another man who went up to a hill as a sacrifice. And, and there, before he did it, there was a lamb in the thicket God had provided. Some theologians, although it doesn't say even in Genesis 3 that it could have been a lamb that was used to provide the clothing for Adam and Eve, you would go quickly to Exodus chapter 12 in the moment of that Passover, that moment of that night where God had told all of the families and leaders of of the families of Israel that they're in bondage in Egypt, millions of them. He said, take a lamb. And take that lamb and, and sacrifice that lamb and take that blood and put it over the doorpost, over the doorpost of the homes. And as the death angel came into that very land, as it saw the blood on the doorpost, it would pass over that door. 
It would pass over that door. And this is why they celebrate in the Jewish festivals the Passover, because it spared, in one sense, their entire race. And so as you think about lamb, as you think about lamb, these things are coming to mind. And as John the Baptist points and says, behold, the lamb, not a lamb, but the lamb. Why would this particular announcement be so different than other announcements in the scriptures about a lamb? Why would this particular announcement on this lamb resonate and rock and shake all of humanity? This is why. Listen, Hebrews 10 verse 11 says, Every priest in the Old Testament stands daily, which can never take away sin. But he, Jesus, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down. Listen, prophets, listen. The Old Testament lamb in the Old Testament, as they made sacrifice, covered sin temporarily. Listen, listen, listen. The New Testament lamb, this lamb, the son of God, Jesus, look at what the text says. It doesn't say he covers it. It says he takes away sin. (laughs) That's good news. Listen, that's good news. This lamb, listen, this lamb... This lamb doesn't cover, this lamb takes sin away. Oh, after he did, he set down, the writer of Hebrews says. Oh, this is, this is our hope. Our hope, our hope is not that our lives would be free from heartache or our children would obey or our health would stay a certain way or the right job would come about or the perfect man or the perfect woman would be our spouse or the right house would be available or the exact school would work out for our kids or the business deal would come through. No, Christian, and listen in, non-Christian, just listen in on this. For the Christian, our unwavering hope is that the Lamb of God has taken away our sin on the cross. On the cross, this lamb, this lamb was slaughtered and sacrificed. This lamb was mentioned in Isaiah 53, that he would endure God's wrath on our, in our place. He would take that. He would absorb that. And then this is what we call the great exchange. He would take his righteousness, his righteousness. And when you believe, when you repent and turn and trust, then his righteousness, it's a spiritual transaction, that his righteousness is imputed to you. And he who knew no sin became sin so that we might be the righteousness of God. This is the most amazing news on the planet. Listen, Listen, quickly. Listen, this is why we as believers continue to look to the lamb. We continue to come to this table in just a moment to remember the lamb. And I'm asking, I'm begging, I'm just begging for those who don't know Christ this morning. Look to this, maybe for the first time, to this lamb. He can take your sin. If you believe the way I believe for many years that my sin was too great, there's way more grace in God than sin in us. It can cover it all and take all of it away. This is why we sing songs like this. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. The dying thief rejoiced to see that fountain in his day and there have I, though vile as he, washed all my sins away. 
Dear dying lamb, thy precious blood shall never lose its power till all the ransomed church of God be saved to sin no more. This is why we sing these great songs. This is why we love Revelation 5. It says, worthy is the lamb. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Listen, this is what we will be singing in the heavens for all of eternity. But then it beckons, right? The reality that not all on earth are singing this now. This is why he would say, this is why he would say, see, the Old Testament lamb covered sin for the people of Israel. But this lamb takes away the sin, notice what the text says, of the world. Of the world. And the only problem we have this morning is that there's two billion people that don't even know his name in an area of the world called the 1040 window that have no idea who this man is. There's, there's a young girl that is in a part of the land that when some of our friends last year were trying to share this good news with them, she didn't ask who is God, she asked what is God. And we want to get this good news to all people because he can take their sin away. And Carl Henry says it like this. He said, it's only good news if it gets there in time. See, John, John the Baptist, he was humble, yes, but he was hopeful. He was confident. His boldness, even in his boldness, got him beheaded by Herod. And let us not, let us not buy into this this cultural American Christianity that screams to be mindful and keep safe. Biblical Christianity shouts to be missional and keep sharing. And so we want to risk our lives for the sake of this news to all people. And so let's pray uh, this morning that that God would stir in us a a boldness and, and yet not arrogance. Opportunities that he would open doors that no one could close and, and, and that we would have a winsomeness and wisdom as we engage our culture with good objections and good questions about who Christ is. And let's understand something, right? Humility is, is not passivity. It's totally, totally different. Passivity is doing nothing about it. Humility is the way you go about doing it. And let's cultivate this confidence in who Christ is. He says in verse 34, I have seen and I have borne witness that this is the Son of God. And this is what our, we desire for our people. This is what we desire for us as a people, that we would continue to behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And as we move to the table, what a fitting text. What a great, great text this morning to think about that particular night as they were celebrating the Passover, that the very... Lamb himself was at that table. Not on that table, he was at that table that night. It was on that night that he took this Passover that they were celebrating for what God had done in Egypt, in the great Exodus, 
It was that night that he said, let's take this, this meal and I'm going to inaugurate a new meal, a meal about me, a meal that will help you remember. And so we come to this table this morning with joy. And I ask the deacons and elders that they would come forward now as we prepare our heart for this, what I call the best meal of the month as a family of faith. And there are instructions in the scripture of how to come to this table. There are instructions that tell us that if there's unconfessed sin for the believer, that we would want to confess that in a moment of silence, even as the elements are being passed, that you would just allow the Spirit of God to do His work, His way with your heart. He also instructs that, that if, if there's a, an offense against a brother or sister, that we, we try to make that right. And so if you haven't made that right, we may want to let it pass this morning until we make that right maybe this week. He also instructs in the scripture that if you're not a believer this morning, we're so grateful that you've come, but to not take the bread and the cup. Let the bread and the cup as it pass by you actually serve you in a way of helping you to consider what Christ did for you. And we'll give you an opportunity and a chance at the end of the service to maybe become a follower of Jesus. The next time we have this meal, you can eat with us. And so he said on that night before they gave this out and ate that they gave thanks for it. So I'd ask, Rich, if you would, give thanks. Thanks.